Well, we're continuing our series on uh, together how to overcome loneliness in a world in a crowded world. And uh, never has the world had so many people living in it, and never has there been so much loneliness. Never have there been so many words, so many forms of communication, and yet never has there been uh, so much loneliness. And uh, so we're going to look today at uh, some practices that we could uh, begin to, 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 to uh, focus on to uh, help, help the experience of being together become more rewarding. And uh, uh, Willard Harley wrote a book called Love Busters in which he introduced the concept of uh, love bank. And he says in a healthy relationship, in a healthy community, the love bank has a positive balance. And uh, love busters are things that deplete the balance and you end up with a negative uh, balance in the love bank. And that's bad. And uh, so what do we need to do to keep the love bank in positive territory? And I think there are three things I'm going to talk about today. There are lots of factors here. These are three we really haven't talked too much about in this series. So the first is together happens when when there is commitment. And uh, I, I uh, a passage of scripture that comes to mind as, as I thought about this was in Acts chapter two, where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And uh, they devoted themselves uh, to what are we devoted? The Bible says that we should love God with all our hearts and with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And, uh, of course, love our neighbor as ourselves. So, you know, the Bible calls us to a wholehearted commitment, not only in our vertical relationship to God, but in our horizontal relationships. Without it, no relationship can be uh, that rewarding. I remember my uh, first date with uh, a, a woman named Jenny, who became my wife. But uh, I did the first thing I did right was I showed up for the date, and uh, I happened to show up with three or four other people. We were going to the planetarium. She thinks I was afraid to be alone with her, but uh, actually, I was trying to to get maybe one of my friends interested in dating her because I was just wasn't that interested in her at the time. <laughs> I'm rambling here, so. Uh, but uh, anyway, but I showed up and I kept showing up. And, and showing up is 90% of success in almost anything, but certainly in relationships. A commitment to show up, being there. And that takes commitment. And, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, in our life together, we're not always there. We're not committed to being there. And then we scratch our heads and we wonder, well, you know, why do I feel like I'm disconnected? Why do I feel like I'm not a part of this group? Now, there are a lot of reasons, that other factors, but... but Nine times out of ten, we have to ask ourselves, am I there? Am I fully engaged? And maybe it's a life group. 
that you know, has been started, but your attendance is sporadic. And that the love bank takes a hit. Maybe it's a mentoring relationship or a, a relationship with a Stephen minister. And, you know, you're not consistent about making those meetings. Maybe it's volunteering and, you know, sign up to do something. You don't show up. That's demoralizing, though, when when we're not there and we say we're going to be there when the expectation is for us to be there, that is demoralizing to the community. So so to be the body of Christ that God has called us to be, we need to commit to showing up. It's interesting to read the literature nowadays on church attendance, and uh, our church is no exception, but uh, na- nas- na- na- nationwide. Uh, you know, those that used to attend church regularly, four out of four Sundays, now come three out of four Sundays or two out of four Sundays. Those that were somewhat irregular instead of Two out of three Sundays are now one out, one Sunday out of the month, or or uh, you know something less frequent. And you know I, I think that what's driving a lot of that is that we are busy, and there are lots of things vying for our time, our energy, and our commitments. But. The, the 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 problem is that our, our our lives are full of activity and commitments, but they're empty. We're our schedules are crowded, but many of us are lonely. And uh, somebody once talked about this, and they they wrote that you know it's they called it the twitching of America, that we live life at hyper speed and, you know, it's a forward stampede through life. Little wonder that we're lacking meaningful relationships because love takes time. Whether you're a parent, a member of the church, or whatever community you're part of, um, I read a quote from by Stephen Jobs yesterday. As I don't remember the exact wording, but he's talking about focus, and he said most people think focus is when you you uh, say yes to some specific. Uh, Project or activity. But he said focus is more about what you say no to. And he said, I'm more proud of what I've said no to than what I've done. Because unless I had said no, I would not have been able to accomplish what, what, what I did. So to put it in simpler terms, uh, there is a Sesame Street song. If you want to play the sax, you got to put down the rubber ducky. And uh, so my point to us today is that if we're going to experience being together, uh, 
if we're not going to just be part of a lonely crowd, we've got to say no to some things. We've got to put down the rubber ducky and we've got to say this is worth the investment of my time. I will slow down. I will commit to being there. Whatever that is. Now, maybe it's not a Sunday morning. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's some other relationship. But otherwise, your love bank's just going to take these hits and there's not going to be anything left. So fundamental to uh, life together is commitment to, to be there. And then uh, also fundamental to, to life together is, is, is when... We have realistic expectations. And, you know, the Bible says that that, uh, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And uh, John, first John, it it says uh, that that we if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have not arrived And uh, the sooner that we disabuse ourselves uh, of that assumption or that we disabuse other people of that assumption about the church, the better off everybody is going to be. I always tell couples before they get married, I said, set the bar of expectation low. And that sounds like "Eh, you probably shouldn't say that, but. I think I think when the bar of expectation is set too high, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. If you think the guy that you married is supposed to be your knight in shining armor is going to vanquish all the dragons in your life. Or if you think the woman that you married is this Greek goddess who's going to usher you into sort of this lifelong experience of euphoria, forget it. That's not reality. And there are people who walk into church, I think, and and they wouldn't maybe say this explicitly, but they're probably working on the assumption this is a community where I can find healing, where I could find love, where I could find friendship, where I can find understanding, where my needs can be met. And these are good people. That is a half-truth. Because, speaking for myself, my halo is crooked most of the time. (laughs) And uh, I think if we're all honest about it, that's true for all of us. And as a pastor, I mean, I get to see... Sometimes the dark underbelly, you know, of what's going on in people's lives. And I I think we should all wear a sign on ourselves that says under construction. (laughs) Or my mother used to say, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. And, you know, that's just the reality. The harsh reality is that the church is a work in progress. And, uh, you know, I've studied church history and one of the, the biggest challenges to my faith uh, as a young adult and even today when I read stuff about the past and, and Christians in the past and the church in the past, that challenges 
me more than anything else that I've ever encountered. Gives me more reason to question the gospel. Gives me more reason to question the Bible. Gives me more reason to question Jesus who said, I will build my church. And part of me gets angry and says, well, you're not doing a very good job. And I I recently read this uh, autobiography of Frederick Douglass. I don't know why I read it, but (laughs) it was a book on my shelf. And uh, it was one of the kids had gotten it or something. And I was thinking, do I want to keep this or not? So I read it. But it was it was a profoundly moving story about a man. You may know Frederick Douglass, who grew up as a slave in the South before the Civil War. And, um, you know, had a dramatic escape to the north and then went on to, you know, live a a very accomplished life and became a great spokesman for civil rights and so forth. But he writes this, were I to be again reduced to the chains of slavery next to that enslavement? I would regard being the slave of a religious master the greatest calamity that could befall me. For of all slaveholders with whom I have ever met, religious slaveholders are the worst. I have ever found them the meanest and basest, the most cruel and cowardly. That was like a gut punch to me. And we need to recognize the harsh reality that in the church there continues to be and there will always be incidents of prejudice, Deceit, greed, lust, pride, self-centeredness, pettiness, cruelty. And I think it's if we don't have that expectation, then, you know, we're setting ourselves up. Having said that, there is a harsh reality, but there's a redemptive reality. And like I said, I have read a lot of of church history. And I think it is inarguable. It is inarguable that the church has accomplished far more good down through its history for the world than it has created harm. And I could go through the litany of things that we take for granted in our culture today that are there because of the gospel. And, you know, that the the old poem that that probably you've heard, the one solitary life, he didn't he didn't write any books. He didn't have an education. He didn't establish any organizations. He never held political office. He didn't have much money. But I'm well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned 
have not affected life in this world for good as much as that one solitary life. I'm referring, of course, to Jesus. And, and of course, Jesus has worked all those things through His followers. So for every act of cruelty, there are a thousand points of light in the history of the church. They're not written in history books. They're not written up in newspapers today. But I know enough and I see enough to realize that the scale is heavily, for all the harm that has been done sometimes in the name of Christ, the scale's heavily weighted over here. And, and the church, by and large, continues to be a redemptive community. Make no mistake. But be realistic about what we can expect from one another and from ourselves. And you say, well, how do you, how do you maintain, you know, uh, you know this, the patience with uh, the stuff that you see, the, 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 the junk that, you know, you see sometimes and Maybe a good metaphor is this, you know, you, you, you raise kids, if you've raised any children, you know the stuff that you have to put up with. A child learning to walk is not going to walk very well. For a long time, they're going to fall. They're going to hurt themselves. You know, they're going to, the child is growing up, is going to do a lot of things that cause damage. But somehow, we have ourselves uh, persuaded that it's worth it. <laughs> it is, right? So, but, you know, it's, it's like us, under construction. Be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. I'm not done growing up. So hang in there. And life together, you know, also assumes that we're going to continue to forgive each other. And, uh, of course, the most common Biblical reference to this is the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's assumed. Like one little boy prays, forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a lot of trash out there. And we all generate it. And without the, 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 the determination to forgive, you know, that love bank is going to go down to nothing pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, somebody, somebody once wrote, no woman should ever have more than a passing acquaintance with a man if she can't forgive. <laughs> And, uh, you know, really, we should just check out of being part of the human race if we can't forgive.
And we'll drop friends like here and it will be shedding friends like, you know, we shed skin. Eventually we have nothing left. Because there will be offense. I will offend you. You will offend me. Both unintentionally and maybe at times intentionally. There will be trash. And forgiveness, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, is not an option. So the whole ground on which we stand before God is is the ground of His mercy. Nobody's ever done to me what I've done to Him when I look at the cross. And if God can forgive me, how can I deny forgiveness to those who have offended me in some lesser way? So, you know, he who refuses to forgive burns the bridge across which he himself must travel. And so it's not an option. If you've offended somebody and you know it, you need to go to that person. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, if you're there at the altar and you're offering your gift and and there you remember that, that, you know, somebody has something against you, um, you need to leave your gift at the altar. More important than being in worship is going to that individual and saying, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And so maybe there's somebody you need to forgive or somebody that needs that you need to apologize to and ask for forgiveness. Get it taken care of. Replenish the love bank. Now, maybe there's somebody you've offend, uh, that, that, that has offended you, and you're, you're the, the, the the victim of the offense. And and in that case, you know the instructions of the New Testament are pretty clear as well. And Jesus in Matthew 18 says says, uh, you know, if your if your brother sins against you, you know, you go to him and and uh, and be reconciled. And Peter says, well, how many times do I need to forgive my, my brother? And he says, seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times, seven. We never reach a place where we can say, I don't have to forgive. Now, understanding forgiveness is important. You know, a forgiveness is a journey. It's not always a destination. Sometimes it takes a lifetime, I think, to forgive certain things. But we're meant to be on that journey. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. There are times where reconciliation is impossible or inappropriate, inadvisable. Forgiveness is not excusing what the other person has done. Forgiveness is not ignoring it or forgetting it. But forgiveness is making a decision with your heart, with your will, that you will put this behind you. 
you will let it go. And that with God's help, you know, you will treat this individual as if this never happened. So it's hard. But this is what we're called to do. I, I, I have a, my uh, and, it, 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 and it works. I, I, uh, I remember one of my younger boys uh, got into a, uh, a well, it wasn't a fight, but he was real chummy with the neighbor. And then they all of a sudden weren't so chummy. And I found out because he was calling this boy names and using bad words and so forth. And so every day they'd get off the bus and they weren't talking to each other. And so I finally, you know, found out what it was that had happened. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, one way to get back your friend is to, you know, tomorrow when you get on the bus, just real sincerely say, I'm really sorry, you know, for what I've said. And uh, so that afternoon when he got off the bus, uh, he and his buddy were they were just talking like, you know, uh, like before. And he he looked up at me and he said. It worked. (laughs) It worked. And it works. Forgiveness works. And uh, so these are these are things that that make life together uh, possible and enjoyable most of the time and rewarding. We don't have to be part of, of the lonely crowd. We can be part of a loving community if we practice these things and some of the other things we've talked about already in the series, but, but committing, showing up, being there, and... and uh, and having realistic expectations and practicing forgiveness. Yeah. You know, it's easy to be critical of the church. But in, as far as I'm concerned, in the world, it's the best thing going. And we can lob criticisms from over the wall and, you know, be perfectly justified. Because it's easy to criticize the church. But why not be part of the solution? That's what I decided. And I was a juncture in my, my younger life when I, I studied all this church history and I could have very easily said, you know, this is a waste of my time. These people are petty, self-centered, absorbed with themselves. They, you know, they do all kinds of stuff. But I said, no, the church can be better than that. And so it's been my heart and my commitment in life to do what I can to add my little weight to making the Christian community something better. And I invite you to be engaged in the same thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to uh, spend this time reflecting on on what you've called us to be as a community and some of the practices that, that we need to adopt. And, uh, Lord, help us to become part of the solution. We all see the problems. But, Lord, by your grace, we can get better. 
And so help us. And uh, may this become a, a truly redemptive community for everyone. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.